kind of excited to get this thing rolling because it seems like almost every conversation that I've come in here today and had relates to this message this morning and even the prayer time. You're going to see this, Luke. You're going to see uh, you in there. <laughs> uh, but we left last week. We left last week. Jesus said, so who do you say that I am? Jesus was really looking at Peter and looking at his 12 guys. He's hanging out with his 12 disciples, just like Sven's doing in Colorado, just like living life with them. And uh, he asked the question, who do you say that I am? And of all the people, Peter pops up and says, you are the Messiah. You're the one that is the son of the living God. You are the one that we have all been looking for. Like for years, thousands of years, they've been waiting for the Messiah since Genesis chapter 3. They knew that the Messiah was going to come because the fall of man had occurred. And now the Jews have all said, no, he's not the Messiah. He's just a carpenter's son. He's from Nazareth. It's no good. But Peter says, you're the Messiah. And Jesus said, Peter, upon that right there, that confession, your confession of who I am, that is what I'm going to build my church upon. Not upon Peter, but upon his confession. And then he goes and actually gives him, we kind of closed up last week with him, giving him the keys to the kingdom, to the, the mystery kingdom. That would be the church. That would be us today. And we realized that he was the first to go to the Jews with this good news. He was the first, really, to go to the Samaritan people that were half Jews, half breeds. And he was really kind of the first to go to the Gentiles with the gospel message. Peter was given the keys to the mystery kingdom being the church, that's you today. And then uh, we pick up right there. We're in Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. It says, from then on, Jesus began. He began. He just like, this is like the start of it all. He's really trying to drive home this one point, but this is just the beginning of it. He says, from then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed, and be raised the third day. Now, let me ask you a question. He says that he's got to go to Jerusalem. Why does he have to go to Jerusalem and die in Jerusalem? Anybody have a clue? What? prophecy yes absolutely it says that he will actually the messiah will die in uh jerusalem but what else somebody else said something it's where did they go every year for the atonement the, the the passover and they take they take the passover lamb and the passover lamb is sacrificed right there at the temple in jerusalem and jesus is going to be that sacrifice when he says, I've got to go to Jerusalem and I've got to die, he's intentionally saying, I'm going to be the sacrifice. But at the same point, the disciples, they're, remember, they're teenage. They're somewhere between 15 to maybe uh, early 30s. Full range. And 
they're sitting there going, what, you, you, what do you mean you have to go suffer, you have to go die? They really didn't have a clue what Jesus was saying at this point. And then here we go in verse 22. It says, Then Peter took him aside and, be, and began to rebuke him. Hey, Jesus, come here a second. <laughs> Watch this. this. This is awesome. It says, Oh, no, Lord, this will never happen to you. <laughs> you, you see what just happened right here? Jesus, come here. I'm going to call you Lord because I know that you're my Lord, but I'm going to rebuke you at the same time. Like, I'm going to correct you and tell you, this ain't happening. Whatever you just said right there, I'm not going to let you suffer. I'm not going to let you die. I'll be the man that takes care of you. I'll be your wingman, is what Peter was saying. Ha! <laughs> Verse 23, it says, but he turned and he looks at Peter and he says, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me because you're not thinking about God's concerns, but man's. Now, let's stop right there. Jesus, when he looked at Peter, he's not saying, you're Satan. He's not saying that. He realizes that at this point, Satan is using his boy Peter, his boy Peter, to stop what God had fully ordained from the beginning, which is to send his son here to earth to tell people the good news and to literally die as the sacrificial lamb for our sins and to be raised again so that the spirit could come and live within us. That was the whole plan from the beginning. And now Peter's like saying, I'm not going to let that happen. And Jesus is like saying, Satan, uh, just stop. You're not going to use my boy Peter right here. He wasn't calling him Satan. Peter was really just trying to take care of Jesus' problem. Jesus now has implied that Peter's doing the work of Satan. And here, here's the crazy thing, because we ended up last week, think about this, I just said this, Jesus had just given Peter the keys to the mystery kingdom, to the building up of the church, and now all of a sudden he's rebuking Peter. Like, literally, this just happened almost in the same conversation. Here's the keys to the church, Peter. Now I'm going to rebuke you because you're absolutely wrong. Like, you're going to try to fix this problem, Peter? You really think that, uh, one, that you can do that, but two, you think that we want that to happen? Jesus knows that he must go through with the Father's plan. And that plan includes pain. Did you hear that? Jesus knows that he's got to go through with the plan, and that plan includes pain. But what we always want to do is we want to try to eliminate the pain, right? We want to eliminate the pain, 
because it seems like that would be the easiest thing to do. But here's this, if we never go through the pain, we never learn and we just keep repeating the lesson. Like, I used this illustration with a a student this week. If you bump your head once, you probably get a knot, and it's painful. The second time, you might bump your head, and you go, man, I just did that a second time. And you end up with another knot. At some point, you're going to realize, I don't want to go through this again. And you literally learn from the pain and the knot on your head not to bump your head again. And I think what Jesus is saying to Peter right here, one, I realize, as I've already said, that I'm about to be killed. And he understands it's going to be painful. Jesus knows there's going to be pain involved. Peter wants to stop the pain. Jesus says, Peter, no. We've got to go through the pain. I believe that pain and suffering is an incredible teacher. Sometimes it's just the avenue that we have to go through to get where we need to be. And this is what it was for Jesus. I, he's like, I've got to go through this right here. Then Jesus said to his disciples, this is like one of the biggest verses right here. If anyone wants to come with me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. (laughs) Now, I grew up in a good godly home and grew up uh, really uh, some good churches uh, my whole life, and I've heard this verse over and over and over. If anyone wants to come with me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That verse was taught to me from a perspective that Christianity is really, really hard. Like, you've got to do a lot of work once that you become saved, and you've got to do this all for the glory of God, and you've got to go out, and you've got to evangelize, and you've got to be good, and you've got to obey the Ten Commandments. It's just a lot of work. And I think that as believers, we're probably taught that, and we really try, and we get on that, hamster wheel and we go as fast as we can and then at some point you just burn out and you go this isn't working and I honestly believe that's why there's people that are walking out of the church literally the the church is in decline you got some mega churches that are doing things and it's I'm not going there but literally this generation is walking out of the church because it's all been taught from this perspective is that you got to deny yourself, take up your cross, and you got to work hard. This is what your calling is. And I've learned that there's a whole different perspective. How can you take all 66 books right here and you go, that makes sense? That doesn't make sense because I go to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9, and it says, there is a Sabbath rest that is to come. 
What is that Sabbath rest? I look at Matthew 11.30 and Jesus himself says, My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And then I'm also taught, well, you've got to give up everything. You've got to become poor. Jesus never says that I have to, like, give up everything that I have. He just tells me that I'm supposed to be a good steward with what, what he gives me. It doesn't say money's bad. It says the love of money's bad. I've, I've got things. I do things. But it's kind of like what Keith was saying. You, you do it for that experience of being with people and helping people. And It's like we went to camp and we just created memories for these students. So how do you reconcile this? You must deny yourself, take up your cross with there's a Sabbath rest to come. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Well, here's what I do is that every morning I wake up and I come to the realization that I'm dead. Every morning I wake up and I come to the realization that I'm dead. This would be the denying myself. And then it says to take up your cross, to take up your cross. I've never really had a cross. The only cross that I have is that of Jesus. And that became my cross. Like, there is only one cross. His cross became my cross. Galatians 2.20 I was crucified with Christ. Romans 6.6 says, For we know that our old self was crucified with Him. I died with Jesus. The moment I came to faith, believed that Jesus was the Son of God and that He died for my sins, I spiritually was crucified with Christ on that cross. Romans 7, 4 says this, Therefore, my brothers, you also were put to death in relation to the law through the crucified body of the Messiah so that you may belong to another. Oh, that's, that's good news right there. He says, To him who was raised from the dead, that we may bear fruit for God. Did you get that? So I was crucified with Christ... My old self was crucified. Now I'm living my life by another, and I'm going to bear fruit for God. Wait. Who's, who's bearing the fruit? Who's doing the work? If I've died, and I'm living my life by another, look, it's the Father doing it through me. It's not even me doing it. There's joy of like waking up in the morning saying, I'm dead. Father, you need to do this through me today. Sometimes it's the only way I get through my day. And then once you've admit, admitted that you've died, <laughs> you realize you're still living, right? I, I admit that I've died, but I'm still living. How am I still living? It says right there in Romans 7, 4, I'm resurrected with Christ. It's no longer me living, but Christ who lives in me. I'm literally living my life by another source. Now, watch this. 
now I'm doing things, now I'm not doing things in my own strength. I want you to look at this one verse that used to be uh, my favorite verse, and it's probably a lot of your all's favorite verse, is Philippians 4.13. Read from this perspective. I'm able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Most people read that thing, I can do all things. Hey, you name it, I can do it. But what if you're living your life by another source? And all of a sudden, the way that you read that verse is, I'm able to do all things through him. Like, everything that I do is going to be through him. It's a totally different perspective. If you read it the other way, if you read it the other way, even though it concludes through Jesus Christ, you're still saying that I'm the one doing this. But if you read it from this perspective, he does all things that I do, that I actually do for me. And then verse 25, it says, Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will find it. Well, here we go. Let's break this down. Because this is what I hear all the time about the message that, David, we were talking about up here from a different perspective. The Ten Commandments. I teach from right here on this stage and those others that come up here on this stage teach that the Ten Commandments were never intended for us as Gentiles. It puts us under the law. I teach from this very stage right here that the Ten Commandments cause us to sin more. God gave us the Ten Commandments to cause us to sin more. You teach that in most churches, they'd freak out and say, what did you just say? But I look at Romans 5.20 and it says the law came along to multiply the trespass. Look, I didn't say God gave us the Ten Commandments to cause us to sin more. Actually, Paul says it right here in Romans chapter 5. The law came along to multiply the trespass. What I teach is we're not under the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments came for the Jews. What we're under as the mystery kingdom of the church is When Jesus died, he was buried, he rose again, he sits by the Father, and they sent the Spirit, and the Spirit lives in me, and I live my life by another source. I live my life by the Spirit, and I don't need Ten Commandments written on a wall to tell me how to live my life. I literally live my life by the Spirit. Or I teach this. Jesus died one time. How many times did Jesus die? He died one time, and he died for all sins of all time, except for one, and that's the sin of unbelief. You have to believe. But other than that, any sin that has been done, that is being done, or that will be done, was all dealt with one time on the cross. Hebrews says, He's not getting back up on the cross again. Paul says in Romans, he's not going to die again. He dealt with it one time. Past, present, and future. And then this, 
When I asked Jesus to forgive me of my sins, when I was like eight years old, he forgave me of all my sins. One time. One time. I didn't get it then. It took me years later to figure that out because I was being told something else. I was told, 1 John 1, 9, if I confess my sins, he's faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness, and then I had to do that every night before I went to bed. Wait, wait, wait. It says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That happened one time. It happened one time. The moment that he died on the cross and the moment I believed, I was forgiven of all my sin. (laughs) That's good stuff, people. And then I hear this. You're teaching a license to sin. If you really believe that, that he forgave you all the stuff in the past, present, and the future, you're teaching a license to sin. Like, you're telling people they can just go out and do whatever they want. (laughs) In other words, these people that are teaching me, they're telling me that I'm teaching a license to sin, they're telling me that I have to work on not sinning. Or else... Or else Jesus provided cheap grace. In other words, I've got to continue working on not sinning, not doing bad things. Or else I'm putting Jesus back up on the cross again, which we know can't happen. Now watch this for a second. I ask you the question, who's missing the gospel? (laughs) Who's missing the gospel? The, The person who is trusting themselves not to sin, or the person who wakes up every morning realizing they have died and now living their life through Christ and trusting him to not let us sin. Who's the one really sinning here? The one who believes in a license to sin? Or the one who believes that Jesus died one time for all my sins. People who tell me that I'm teaching, uh, I have a license to sin, have really never ever connected the truth that Jesus says, hey, let me do this for you. Jesus says, I realize that you're still going to struggle. I realize that you're still, look, Jesus is saying this to you. I realize you're still going to make bad choices here in the future. I realize that, people. I realize you're going to still sin. I dealt with that sin one time. I forgave you of that sin. Let's focus on who you are in Christ. And let me worry about taking care of your sin. I'll help you stop sinning if you just trust me. You can try all you want in your own strength. There's all sorts of programs out there to help you stop sinning. You, you, can, you, can, you can do that on your own, but you've already been doing that, and you see where it's gotten you. Then you actually trust him 
to do it in you. Some of you want to hold on to your life. You want to do it in your own strength. Let me tell you this. I tried that for years, and I did not walk victoriously. I was defeated almost every night that I had to get down and kneel and ask for forgiveness. But now that I have this understanding, this concept that he not only forgave me, but he redeemed me, that he made me holy, that he made me righteous, that he made me pure, that he made me his child, that he made me all these things. He sanctified me, he justified me, he glorified me, all past tense. He's done all these things through the cross that I can now actually walk with my head high even when I make bad choices and I can walk in victory. Look, it doesn't feel good when I blow it. And that's because it's unnatural to me. He changed my heart. He took my old stone heart out and he replaced it with a heart of flesh. And so when I make bad choices, it doesn't feel good. It's not natural for me. But I trust that I'm going to walk on, I'm going to walk on, and I'm going to trust that Jesus is going to continue to do a great work in me, and he's going to cause my behavior to actually line up with who I identify in Christ. That, my friends, is trust. That's what it comes down to. I trust. That's what he's trying to tell his disciples. Just trust Peter. I appreciate your your gestures, your words, but you got to trust. I read this passage to you. Watch this. I'll just prove my point here. Paul proves my point. Romans six chapter or chapter six verse four. It says, "Therefore we were buried with him by baptism into death." I was buried. My, I'm dead. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in a new way of life. I wake up every morning and say I'm dead. I'm resurrected with Christ. And I get up and I walk in a new life every day. For if we have been joined with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that sin's dominion over the body may be abolished. You've been given the power to overcome sin and it reigns within your mortal body. So that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. Since a person who has died is freed from sin's claims. Like your sinful nature has been totally eradicated from you and you are a new creation. It's now not normal for you to sin. It was once normal for you to sin. It's not now. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that he will also live with him. Because we know that Christ having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Ha, it says it. He's not dying again. He's not dealing with that sin issue again. Death no longer rules over him, for in light of the fact that he died, he died to sin once for all. But in light of the fact that he lives, he lives to God. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. You call it a license to sin. I call it trusting Christ in me. I trust him. It's a whole different mindset. It's a whole different perspective. It allows me to walk in victory. And he closes and he says, What will it benefit a man 
if he gains the whole world yet loses his life? Or what will a man give in exchange for his life? Literally, literally Jesus saying, I'll do this for you. Just let me do it. And then uh, quickly, we'll get to this right here. Mark chapter 8, verse 38, it says this, For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. He's talking about when Jesus comes back a second time. Then he said to them, I assure you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until you see the kingdom of God come in power. He just... He just told them some of you are going to see the glory of god where is the glory of god at this point when jesus is saying this it's in jesus but it's veiled they really can't see it the glory of god's right there in his earthly body but it's veiled but he's telling them a few of you are going to see this before i return the second time and then watch this matthew chapter 17 verse 1 it says this it says after six days after six days i look at uh mark chapter 9 verse 2 it says after six days and then i look at luke chapter 9 verse 28 it says about eight days after these words wait a second we have a conflict Matthew, Mark says six days. Luke says eight days, about eight days. You know, all Luke did here was he included the day of Peter's confession, and he also included the day that's about to occur right here. But literally, here's what happened. It took them six days. It took them six days. It says he took along Peter, John, and James and went up the mountain to pray. We know that that's Mount Hermon. It's right there by Caesarea Philippi that we talked about last week. Now, I don't know. I've thought about this on the way driving here. It's like, how did he get just Peter, James, and John? Did he, he, he's got the 12 guys, but how did he get Peter, James, and John? Just pull these three guys aside. I'm going to show three of you. You know, I literally got hammered, you know. I, I probably still do about having favorites but then I came to the realization that uh, they weren't really favorites. There was just, I had more in common with some students. And some students literally pursued me and hung out with me more. That's really what it came down to. So maybe Peter, James and, or Peter John, and James just decided to, like, go with Jesus. They climbed the mountain for, like, six days. Remember, they're young men. They like climbing. I took Corey over there, and he was climbing on every rock. They climbed this mountain, and they went to pray. And he was praying. The appearance of his face changed. This is Jesus. The appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became dazzling white. Very similar to what happened in the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. All of a sudden... These three disciples, Peter, John, and James, got to see the glory of the Lord. He says, some of you will see this before you die. And he was literally talking about that very week. 
this is like this is like a movie trailer. He's going to show them just this little bit about the glory of God. Just that this is just a taste of what is to come. It says suddenly two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah. This is good because Moses represents the law and Elijah represents the prophets. As good Jewish boys, they've studied all their life the law and the prophets. The law that Moses was given and the prophets about there's a Messiah that's to come. So now you've got Moses, Elijah, and Jesus standing there. And Jesus has got this glow about him. It says, they appeared in glory. They appeared in glory. And we're speaking of his death, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. So now you've got Moses and Elijah standing there talking to Jesus about him dying in Jerusalem. And these three disciples are sitting there like going, what is going on? This is like a big deal. Peter and those with him were in a deep sleep. And when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who were standing with him. They're just over there talking. Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. And as the two men were departing from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. Like, this is really cool. Thanks for bringing us up here. Thanks for including Peter, John, and James. Thanks for making us part of the inner circle. He says, let us make three... He's just so... And Peter's just so eager. Let us make three tabernacles. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Not knowing what he said. Now, that, that seems kind of bizarre. You're going to like make tabernacles. But what you have to understand, there were really seven festivals. And the last festival was the festival of the booths and tabernacles. And when the mystery kingdom came, there were going to be tabernacles built churches built and so literally peter's just he's just being honest i know from my jewish history that this is what i'm supposed to do here's the mystery kingdom i see it right here let me build three tabernacles right here for you three this would be awesome so it wasn't really that absurd and while he was saying this a cloud appeared and overshadowed them overshadowed peter james and john and they became afraid as they entered the cloud. They're consumed by, this has got to be an incredible experience. Then a voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son, the chosen one. Listen to him. Very similar to what happened at the baptism of Jesus. And we close out with this last verse. It says, after the voice had spoken, only Jesus was found. Like they had literally listened to Moses and Elijah their whole life as Jews. Now God has instructed them watch, Moses and Elijah disappeared. Jesus is the only one standing there, and God says, Listen to him. I want you to listen to him. This is a foreshadowing of the new covenant that is coming. 
you had the old and Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets. But now I want you to listen to him alone. It says there in Luke, they kept silent in those days, told no one what they had seen. If you go back to Matthew, he said this, then Jesus came up, touched them and said, get up, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. When they looked up and they saw no one except him, Jesus alone. Jesus sat there and said to Peter, James, and John, you've just seen something pretty amazing. And if you go down there and you tell anybody this, they're going to have a hard time believing this. You guys were fortunate that you got to see it before everybody else. They'll get to see it. It's coming. I promise you, it's coming. The glory of God is coming. And as we all know, it came in with a fury in Acts chapter 2. And now that spirit, that glory, (laughs) that glory that they saw in the transfiguration on Mount Hermon lives inside of you. Really? That's all you got? That same glory that was in the burning bush, that same glory that led them through the wilderness, that same glory that walked here in the earth suit of Jesus is the same glory that lives in your mortal bodies. That, my friends, is how you live your life by another source. You can keep trying. Keep trying, just like Peter I got this. Good luck with that. Father, I pray that you teach us.